Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. New York has a new 10th congressional district, you've probably heard, and there's no incumbent running, a rarity. Uh, This new district is covering a large swath of lower Manhattan, the East and West Villages, the Lower East Side, Chinatown, Tribeca, Battery Park City, the Financial District, and more. And a big stretch of Brooklyn, including parts of downtown Brooklyn, Gowanus, Park Slope, Sunset Park, Red Hook, Borough Park, and more. The field of candidates in this newly drawn district that was the result of a very messy redistricting process for an August Democratic primary is large, uh, distinguished, and it includes my guest today. Yuli New is the assembly member for the 65th district in lower Manhattan, a seat she's held since 2017, and a district that is fully within the new New York 10 giving Assemblymember New a significant base to work from. Her district includes parts or all of the Lower East Side, Chinatown, the South Street Seaport area, the Financial District, and Battery Park City. In Albany, she's focused on funding for public housing for NYCHA, preventing sexual harassment, supporting AAPI communities, language access, and more. We'll get into her assembly record here and much more. My conversation with Democratic candidate for the 10th Congressional District of New York, Yuli New, in just a moment. Also in the running in this new district are City Council Member Carlina Rivera, Assemblymember Joanne Simon, former Congresswoman Liz Holtzman, former Trump Impeachment Counsel Dan Goldman, and others, including a sitting member of Congress, Representative Mondaire Jones, who currently represents a Hudson Valley district, the 17th. But given some of the very complicated fallout from redistricting, Representative Jones has moved to Brooklyn just recently and is running in the 10th district. No longer in the running, news that broke just this afternoon that we're speaking, and it's July 19th, 2022, is former Mayor Bill de Blasio, who just dropped out of the race after receiving very little support in his early weeks in the contest. He posted a video to his Twitter account announcing that he's dropping out of the race that many people listening to this conversation have probably already seen, but we are speaking here just after that video posted on the afternoon of July 19th. Primary day is just over a month away, Tuesday, August 23rd, and we're less than a month until early voting in this primary and many others taking place for the state Senate and U.S. House of Representatives in the August 2022 primaries here in New York. This primary and others in the Democratic Party are for registered Democrats who live in those specific districts. And to know if you're part of the new New York 10 or any other district, you can check out the redistricting and new New York service from the CUNY mapping service and our friend Steve Romaluski there for a map of the new district and many others. Uh, it's not too late at this point to register to vote or change your party to get involved. So be ready to vote if you are eligible and able in August. So we've spoken in recent weeks here on the show with Carlina Rivera. She launched her campaign here in New York 10. We've spoken with Dan Goldman and Assemblymember Simon as well. We're speaking today with Assemblymember New, and we'll have other top candidates in the race coming on in the weeks ahead. Our invitation is out to Mondaire Jones, and we hope he accepts. We were going to have Bill de Blasio on, but it looks like at this point we may not, or maybe we'll still talk with the former mayor. Anyhow, let's get to today's guest, 
Assembly member Yuli New, thanks for being here and taking the time. How are you today? Thank you so much for having me. It's always good to be on your show, Ben. I'm thanks, good. Thanks for joining me. Good. So we're speaking here, as I said, just after former Mayor de Blasio announced he's dropping out of this race. This is not where I expected to start with you, but why don't uh, you share your your reaction to the news of the former mayor dropping out of this primary? Um, I think that, you know, uh, it's a democracy and everybody should be able to run. Um, and I wanted to just say, um, I guess, for the last um 20 years uh, plus, I believe that he has been a public servant. Um, I know that being in public service myself, it's not easy. And it's a really, really difficult choice to make for um, what you want to do with your life, right? To make sure that you're serving people and serving your constituency. So, um, you know, I I wish him well. And I think that, you know, I appreciate that, um, you know, that he was willing to, to, you know, put over 20 plus years of his life into service. Any sense of what you think um, sort of did him in with the voters of this district in particular? You know, this is a, a district home to his his original political base, which seemed to have sort of left him or he left it, you know, sometime during his mayoralty. Um, a lot of sort of disillusioned, uh, progressive Brooklyn voters who elected him to the city council, helped elect him public advocate, mayor, Um do you, what do you think? And, and, you know, you are now something of a, of a progressive standard bearer in New York. You have the endorsement of the Working Families Party, which Bill de Blasio helped to start. What do you think? Um, what do you think did did, you know, did the mayor in in terms of his relationships with the, the sort of progressive base of, of at least Brooklyn, where he came through? Um, I'm not actually sure like what would have been, you know, any kind of trigger or anything like that. But I definitely think that, you know, um, it's really important to, uh, I think, you know, hear your constituents, hear them out and be willing to listen. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of issues that people might not 100 percent agree on or even vehemently disagree on. But I think that what is what is really important, I apologize, um, what is really important is to make sure that we actually have um, the ability to be able to have somebody who's listening, who's always willing to um, sit down, actually have the time, make the time, and doesn't matter, you know, where they um, are talking to you from, um, but to meet them where they are, right? Meet all of your constituents where they are, and to be willing to listen to all of the issues and, um, you know, and understand why somebody thinks the way they do, even if they disagree with you. And I think that it's really important to take that time. And I, I think that over time, um, you know, people uh, as they are in different positions, you know, might have, um, you know, a harder time reaching people. And maybe that could be a frustration. Um, I know that, you know, as an assembly member, um, I definitely have, you know, always tried to make that time. But I know that there are there are moments when people are frustrated with me, even, you know, when it talk when when, um, you know, we used to be able to talk all the time. And, you know, sometimes it makes it so it's harder for us to be able to reach each other. Um, it doesn't mean I don't care. And it doesn't mean that, you know, obviously, um, you know, I don't regard everybody's like thoughts, but I could understand, you know, how how sometimes it's harder. Mm -hmm. All right. We can uh, talk with others and, and maybe the former mayor himself about all that a, a, another time. But uh, let's let's get into your candidacy here for the new 10th Congressional District of New York, which, as I said in the introduction, includes a big chunk of lower Manhattan, part of which you represent now in the assembly and a big swath of Brooklyn. Um, so why are you why are you in this race? Broad strokes. We'll get into a bunch of specifics. But what drew you to this race? Why are you running here for Congress? I mean, obviously, our our entire country right now is in crisis. Um, I um, really 
am seeing that a lot of people are, you know, very scared. We have a lot of people who are getting killed every single day. Um, when it comes to mass shootings, our country has experienced more mass shootings than there are days of the year. I mean, even during July 4th, we've seen um, two mass shootings um, where, you know, children lost like their parents, you know, um, one little boy lost both of his parents and one girl like lost her mom. And, you know, people are losing their rights. Um, we saw in Buffalo uh, how, you know, how horrifying it was and people are really suffering. Um, and, you know, we have lost our bodily autonomy, um, you know, and I think that right now we really need to um, continue to fight for um, our rights as people. And, you know, I've already represented um, part of this district in the state assembly for the past six years. And I think I've represented it really well. A hundred percent of my assembly district, as you had mentioned earlier, is inside of this New York 10 district. And I really want to continue to represent my neighbors, my community, because I think that right now our country is in this moment of apathy, right? Um, where a lot of times it's just like these horrible things are happening to us and we we feel like we can't do anything to change it. But um, as like a young person who's just started working in public service when I was um, in, uh, I guess in college, um, I, I really realized that there are a lot of times when um, people make it seem like there's some big secret to accessing government, but it's really just that there are powerful people that are in government right now that don't want us to realize that we actually have the power to make the changes that we wanna see. And so, you know, I know that um, it's important for us to run because we are then showing that when we mobilize and come together, we can make government work for us. Who, um, you know, who, who in the district are you most focused on sort of um, trying to make sure that their voices are heard? Uh, this, this new, you know, like many congressional districts, um, there's a lot of different communities and a lot of different neighborhoods in this new New York 10. Uh, a big chunk of the voting population is is white, but there's uh, two Chinatowns in the district, including the one you represent currently in Manhattan. There's two large, um, more than two large Latino neighborhoods that, you know, it's a, it's a diverse district. There's an Orthodox Jewish part of Borough Park. Um, how are you thinking about sort of being a voice for the the residents of this district? And not not all of those residents are voters in a Democratic primary, but who are you looking to sort of really hear out and represent and appeal to in this um, in this district? So there's like, of course, there's like the vote, but then also it's the fact that when you're representing any district, when you're representing in any seat, you have to represent everybody who's inside that district. And you have to also be willing to hear everybody out. And again, you know, I think it's really about being a good listener and being somebody who's willing to go and meet people where they're at. And, you know, for me, um, you know, I tend to look at making sure that things are accessible for all. And you and I have talked about this at length before, but I think that it's so important for us to be able to have um, the lens of looking through um, all legislation and all representation as like, you know, is this going to help with social justice? Is this going to make it so that we have, um, you know, uh, ecological and, you know, um, you know, environmental justice? And is this going to make it so that we're looking at things with, um, you know, disabilities centered in our conversation? Or is this making it so that we are actually looking at economic uh, justice? And is this going to make it so that we are, you know, like we have to ask those questions. Does this close the racial wealth gap? Does this make it so that we are um, making it so that things are more just for every single person, right? And I I think that, you know, when we are um, looking at 
all of these pieces, you know, I think that, you know, we have to be fighting for those who are the most vulnerable in our communities, because when we do that, we are then uplifting everyone. So I'm talking about, you know, if, when we build a ramp, everybody walks over it um, when, or, 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 you know, goes over it and uses it. And like, you know, whenever we are, you know, talking about language accessibility, you know, we're making it so that everybody can have access to services, right? So everything needs to make sure that we, you know, we have to, speak to the most vulnerable at all times. And I think that that's really kind of where I'm coming from when it comes from legislation and representation. Mm-hmm. And in terms of in, in your original answer and why you're running, you got at some of the, the big issues, um, you know, that a lot of Democrats especially are focused on right now. Um, but are there specific policies that, you know, you would most champion in Congress Um there is a lot of agreement in, in many Democratic primaries, especially in New York City, on you know a lot of the big stuff, protecting uh, abortion rights, uh, advancing more gun control, some of the things you referred to. But what, what would be top priorities for you if you were elected in terms of, of policies and areas to focus on? Yeah, so one of the things that I would definitely be focusing on, which I think a couple of other legislators have already looked at, which is making sure that we are um, looking at, you know, social infrastructure spending. You know, I think that really passing the Green New Deal, taking our fight um, for working people in Albany to the halls of Congress, we can really build an economy that really works for regular New Yorkers. Um, One of the biggest things that I speak on all the time is trying to fully fund our public housing. Um, You know, when we are in Albany, (laughs) I will say that I pushed and pushed and pushed to make sure that our state took some responsibility for our public housing. Um, And, you know, when I was elected, I wrote a letter to Carl, um, making sure that every single one of our, um, you know, elected officials who represent public housing uh, in their districts was on that letter. And we were able to finally get $100 million for the very first time um, for our capital dollars to spend um, in, you know, from Albany. Um, And, you know, we continued to fight every single year and we got more and more dollars until now. Now we have put over a billion dollars into public housing, but every single time I fought for public housing on the state level, people told me this is a federal issue and this is why we don't need to you know, fund it. And like, this is why we can't fund it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They gave me a ton of different excuses, but the biggest, the biggest thing that I think that we need to do is make sure that we are fully funding our public housing because we have divested, our federal government has divested for decades um, from our public housing. And it's really, really important that we are um, making sure that we are um, funding all of our capital needs. It means, you know, passing the Green New Deal to direct federal funds to protect our um, our public housing. They have a whole green new uh, public housing deal inside of it. And they also have a green new public schools um, inside of, you know, this is Jamal Bowman's bill inside of this package. And this is something that would be so helpful to all of our schools right now, because as we know, some of our schools have aged um, infrastructure. And also we haven't talked a lot about the uh, ventilation, uh, you know, the, the way that it's been, you know, so important for us to have that ventilation for so many of our students, um, because of COVID. Um, These are different ways that we can really bridge that gap. And I also think, obviously, um, we have to really deal with some of the climate change issues that that really plague lower Manhattan and Brooklyn and shore up the defensives of um, our small businesses while creating um, strong union jobs in the process. You know, this is really, really good stuff inside of the Green New Deal. And it also means doing in Congress what I did in Albany, which is winning our community a larger share of government support for you know, that true affordable housing to ensure people who live and work in our communities can keep their head above water. And obviously, if we work together, we can make an economy that works for all New Yorkers. 
in a in a democratic supermajority in the state assembly, um, you've been one of the voices on the left, sort of um, really trying to push the conversation in that more leftward progressive direction, voting no on on a number of budget bills. Um, you know, really trying to say this is not enough. We should be increasing taxes on the wealthy further and investing even more money in in services and programs and public housing and so forth. Would you see yourself playing a similar role in Congress, given the current landscape? And again, for the sake of a lot of this discussion, we can you know, sort of assess the current congressional landscape. There's a chance, obviously, that Democrats lose the House majority in the coming elections. But yes. uh, in terms of that, in terms of that role and that sort of progressive left voice, uh, how would you see yourself in the in the House? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's um, obviously uh, a need for political courage right now more than ever in our Congress. And, you know, we have a majority in the Senate, we have a majority in the House. And so obviously we also have a Democratic president. Um, and I think that it's really about making sure that we um, are you know, people who have that political courage in order to fight for the things that we desperately need, because we don't need to save seats. What we need to do is save our people. Um, and so I always think I always think that it's really important that um, we we uh, vote for somebody who's willing to stand in front of our people and make sure to take the hits. Um, I think that one of the biggest things um, for me is that I know that pro- progressives are going to fight like hell to keep the House majority. We always have. We always will. Um, but if there is a risk of losing it, um, we still have an important role to play. And one, even in the minority, we can be a roadblock to conservative overreach. Um, Two, we can be a voice of moral authority in the face of attacks on our rights or giveaways to the wealthy. Um, And three, we can develop policy and legislation that will improve people's lives when we take the majority, which we will. Um, And I have worked across the aisle in Albany, obviously, to get legislation passed. But I think it's important to be honest about, um, you know, what bipartisanship means um, when we're talking about the congressional level and when we have sitting Congress people who actually voted against certifying the 2020 presidential election results and electeds who actively planned promoted and participated in a violent attack against our democracy. And if people in our government are actively working against our democracy, um, I'm not really sure what achieving a bipartisanship even looks like um, when bipartisanship is obviously only possible when the party across the aisle isn't actively working to undo our democracy or violently harm their colleagues in a fascist coup. And I'm happy to obviously work with anyone who can pass that litmus test. Some of what you're saying about courage and about having the majorities and about having a a Democratic president, um, what do you make of of federal leadership, Democratic leadership, uh, Senate Majority Leader Schumer, who obviously is from uh, Brooklyn, uh, Speaker Pelosi, President Biden, um, is, is part of your campaign here for Congress about the need for generational change? Is it about, um, you know, the need for, you know, some sort of critique those leaders that they don't, they haven't really adapted or adjusted to the modern Republican Party that they're really dealing with? And, you know, in some ways, obviously, um, Schumer and Pelosi have recognized that. And in some ways, uh, Biden seems to have come around to recognizing that, even though he sort of ran on the idea that he, he, he could get Republicans to return to more bipartisanship. And they've had a couple of bipartisan um, accomplishments on infrastructure and, and the recent gun legislation. But is part of your pitch here 
about the need for generational change in Congress? Is it, um, you know, are you someone who would who would definitively be seeking a different Speaker of the House than Nancy Pelosi if you were if you were in the House uh, majority? So for me, I think that I'm somebody who's always spoken truth to power. It didn't matter if it was against my own leadership or the governor. Right. And I think that I've been very honest about um, everything that I've seen. You know, I um, spoke up against Cuomo. I did. Um, I spoke up um, when, you know, I felt like uh, the austerity budget was going to kill us. And I felt like, you know, we lost a lot of lives because instead of passing a budget, that would be um, something that was uh, going to make us healthy, happy and whole again. Um, we were cutting and slashing healthcare funds and social services and, you know, education dollars um, in the beginning of a worldwide global pandemic, right? We were we were doing that and um, we should have been investing in our communities. And I feel like, um, you know, that goes to show that I think that I just, I wanted to be able to, no matter what, be accountable to my constituents um, and the people who chose to have me represent them. And I think that that's the most important thing. And it doesn't, um, even if it means speaking up, um, when it's uncomfortable, even when it means speaking out when um, people want you to, you know, um, toe the status quo line. And I think that it's important for us to have somebody who's willing to do that. Let me throw a couple of the uh, some of the common criticisms of you uh, to you and, and see what your responses are on, on these two things. One is, um, you know, one way to frame some of this, as you said, is, is sort of having courage and speaking out and speaking truth to power. But you know, some people say, well, you're always you're always sort of saying no to everything that you're always you're always saying this is not enough. And, you know, I, you vote no on certain budget uh, deals, oppose, you know, uh, specific uh, projects in the district. What's your response to that critique that you're you're sort of never willing to sort of get to yes and and make more compromise and, and that not not never obviously that's sort of a um, overstatement but that you know that that you're sort of too hesitant to um, you know come along and and get to some compromises and and almost always opposed to things. I am very rarely opposed to things. I think that's why the things that are are shining out are really the times when I do say no. And I think that I do say no um, to things that need to be said no to. I think that a lot of times when, you know, when you are seeing a budget like that and you're seeing that there's, you know, education cuts that are making it so that students, when you know kids are not going to be able to go to school um, in person and they're going to struggle, like you can't skimp. You have to make sure that you're speaking out when you when you know that it's a healthcare crisis and like you see that the governor is taking away healthcare dollars and like underfunding, like you need to say no. And if you are seeing that, you know, you know that in the future that social services are going to prevent worse, uh, you know, deaths or um, prevent, you know, harm to people that you have to say no, you know? And I think that there are moments when, you know, that is, you know, the courageous thing to do. And I, I think that if if um, somebody's paying attention, then you know they would say no too. But yeah. I think a lot of times things um, are happening and people aren't paying attention. Um, and I think that because I pay attention, I and and I read everything and I try to be really thorough and I try to like raise the question. And if those questions are not answered, then I'm like, you know, I can't be okay with this until I have my questions answered for these particular issues. And I think that you know every single time um, when I have had the courage to you know go out and fight for folks, I'm just really trying to 
shine a light on some of the places where people are not, you know, given um, the ability to shine the light on in the normal um, and, you know, in the normal darkness and opaqueness of government. <laughs> and I would say that, you know, it's really about accessibility, trying to talk to my constituents first about what it is that, you know, um, is happening. And then I think that because of my speeches on things, because of my clarity on, on you know, why I think of, you know, the reason behind something and, you know, people are actually more involved and um, uh, have more say in the process. And I think that that's always something that's good in government. Mm. How, how do you think about um, uh, this district, this congressional district? And, you know, it's obviously expands uh, quite a bit into Brooklyn and, and other parts of Manhattan that you currently represent. But about about bringing more housing into the district um, and, and and, you know, the the debate over what it means to sort of be progressive on housing issues and, um, you know, questions around uh, the you know you hear from some people like, uh, for example, the chair of the city council housing committee, uh, Pierina Sanchez, who you know is is talking about the need for more housing everywhere and of all types. Um, but but then there's a there's you know a pretty strong sort of left leaning group of people on on many issues who are very often opposed to a lot of new housing development and and largely because they say it's not affordable enough. How are you thinking about that with respect to this larger uh, 10th congressional district and the importance of housing development broadly and affordable housing within that um, conversation? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the biggest things is I am um, very much in, I think in a lot of ways, both those camps of like, we do need to build a lot more housing and we need to make sure that it is deeply affordable, permanently affordable, and also something that um, people can afford. Because I have seen all over my district, um, a lot of luxury housing that you know people can't afford. And I think that it's really important for us to be able to um, be sure to build affordable housing and make sure that people have those programs. And um, I will say that, you know, we have a lot of housing developments that go on in lower Manhattan. Density is obviously not an issue with me. And I think that it's um, something that is important. It lowers the carbon footprint. It helps to make sure that, you know, we have a lot more people being able to come and go easier. Um, And, you know, we also have, um, you know, the very, very important thing of having more units on the market, right? Um, Obviously in lower Manhattan, we have buildings that are even on top of buildings, but um, what I do think is really important is like, you know, people, um, you know, don't realize how many developments are going on that, you know, people don't really have any say over, but I do think that it's really important that if we do on the city level, have any kind of public space or kind of, 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 uh, you know, public, um, you know, housing or anything like that, that is built there, then we have to make sure that people can actually afford it. Um, And I think that, we have to make sure that things are deeply affordable, permanently affordable. Um, and, you know, if something's taken away from somebody, you know, for public good, then we have to make sure to replace it with another public good. Right. Um, and I think that it's really important for us to be able to be vocal um, when, it, you know, the community has any pushback because um, we represent our people and we have to make sure that we're representing what the people want out of all of these different um, developments. And uh, and I think that that's the most important thing. You know, I think that it's really about making sure that we have a neighborhood that works for everyone. As I mentioned earlier, there's there's a couple of uh, pretty pretty large uh, majority Asian communities in this new tenth uh, congressional district. One of them is is the Manhattan's Chinatown, which is currently in your assembly district. Um, by no means making a, a plurality or a majority of, of voters in this new district, but the new district does combine those those two significant. Uh, 
yes. heavily Asian communities. How are you thinking about representation um, and Asian representation in Congress in as part of this run? And forgive me, but as part of this question, you know, we've seen some movement of Asian American voters towards the Republican Party uh, in New York City and elsewhere. How are you thinking about that and, and what's at the root of that? And as a as a progressive, how are you thinking about sort of winning uh, over some of those voters who might be disaffected from the Democratic Party? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I but think are registered that- Democrats most likely. Sure. Um, so first and foremost, I, that's like several questions and I, I, will, <laughs> I, I will try to take that's it. That's why I said, like, forgive me. You know, but Yeah, no, I love them. I, I, Go ahead. Go really ahead. important question. So yeah. first and foremost, this uh, district actually designated by this special master um, included both Chinatowns on purpose, um, both uh, the Brooklyn side Chinatown on Bada uh, Dao is what we call it, um, 8th Ave, and also um, in uh, uh, Chinatown here in lower Manhattan, um, which we call Tarenjie. And so um, we have have um, both of our Chinatowns voting together for the first time in an open primary. Um, And it's really important because, um, you know, if we, uh, you know, have this opportunity to be able to have Asian American representation, that's really what this district was kind of slated for. Um, It was by the special master. Um, But, you know, you know, if we don't um, actually win this seat, then, you know, for 10, 20, 30, maybe years, um, we might not be able to um, have another opportunity to be able to have um, another Asian American representative uh, from New York on the congressional level. And here in New York, um, we obviously uh, have one Asian American uh, on the congressional level, Grace Mang, she's amazing, but um, we also um, have not had another Asian American representative ever. So I think that it's really important that we do have that representation because um, nationwide, uh, Asian Americans make up over 7% of the country's population. And yet we have less than 1% of the representation here in uh, Congress. And so I think that it's really important for us to be able to have more Asian American representation because as we know, um, you know, it's important to be able to have diverse lenses in order to make better policy. And so, um, you know, during this time, especially we saw uh, such an increase in anti-Asian hate, anti-Semitism, anti, um, you know, uh, you know, we have seen um, Islamophobia in a, in a way that we can't even describe. So it's just, there's so much hatred uh, going on um, throughout our country um, that it's really important that people recognize that a lot of times when we're seeing this kind of hatred, this kind of fear throughout, um, the purpose of that kind of terrorism, that kind of hatred is uh, to make us afraid and to make us not show up for things, not run for things, um, you know, just to to hide, I guess. And I think that's why it's so much more important that we have visibility and um, that we have um, somebody who's running that looks like us and um, helps us to be able to, um, you know, I guess, break some of the stereotypes and break some of the um, the hatred um, and the uh, perpetual foreigner syndrome that our country, um, you know, buys into, right? Um, and I think that it's really important for us to be able to have those conversations as well. Um, I will say that I'm not surprised by, um, by folks, um, you know, being disillusioned with the Democratic Party when it comes to, um, you know, our Asian American communities, because uh, I will say that, you know, during this pandemic um, and, you know, for many, many years before it and, um, you know, we uh, 
have not had the representation to um, really be able to speak for our communities um, in a way that, you know, matters. I mean, when until I was elected um, uh, in, in, in our New York State Legislature, we didn't even have line items for our community organizations, for our Asian American community organizations in our budget. Mm -hmm. We had um, no set aside funding for our Asian American groups as a whole. And I felt like that was something that needed to change. And we were able to bring um, for the first time, you know, when it was very apparent to me when we were talking about um, legal uh, um, services for our immigrant communities, um, and there was funding for everybody except for the Asian American groups. I was shocked, and it was called the Liberty Defense Fund. You can look it up. It was uh, put together by the IDC, actually. Um, and I was shocked that Asian Americans were not included in that funding. And so I fought to make sure that we had some dollars. And um, Carl, actually, to his credit, gave us three hundred thousand and said, you know, that was a start, and that I could fight for more later. Um, so then I fought for more. Um, later, we got another 600K, and then we were finally able to get um, last year $10 million to our Asian American organizations um, for the first time ever in the history of um, the nation, probably. Um, and then in California, they actually uh, copied us and were able to deliver hundreds of millions of dollars to our Asian American communities. And then this year, we were able to double what we were able to give um, for, uh, you know, for Asian American communities and anti-hate work um, to 20 million. So it was really incredible to be able to see. And, you know, I was able to triple the dollars that, um, you know, our yeshivas got for protections uh, like against um, hate crime. So um, some of the dollars for cameras, et cetera, you know, just these kinds of dollars are really important um, so that we can um, stop the hatred uh, that we are seeing. And so that's why, you know, from my end, I'm not surprised by the um, Asian American population getting a little bit more um, disillusioned with how little we've protected them. Um, the anti-Asian hate is really, really scary and frightening. Um, and I think that it's really important for us to um, be able to provide the resources in order to combat it. And I want to try to get to a few more things in our last uh, five or so minutes here, but um, sorry, it took just, so much time. No, no, not at all. Uh, just, just, just quickly, one more on that. Um, there seems to be, and again, it's it's hard to quantify exactly, but there seems to be some gap between some portion of uh, Asian American communities and the progressive vision around divesting from police funding to you know go to some some other, you know, community programs. And again, maybe if you're saying some of this work you've done to target some new funding into programs that actually benefit in Asian American communities, then people might see some of that differently. But there seems to be a bit of a gap, again, not not in totality, but some portion of Asian American communities here in New York City around that progressive push um, how do you sort of try to to bridge that gap? Because you have been much more firmly in the camp of let's move funding away from law enforcement into more community programs. Yeah, I think that it's just it's, um, you know, about educating, you know, everyone on why it's so important that we have funding for the programs that are really important in um, helping with, you know, ending poverty creating community safety, like real community safety. And, and we have to talk about safety as, um, as something that's important to all of us in this, in the real community safety sense, because when we're talking about, you know, changing what safety, um, 
you know, and that conversation around safety uh, to really talk about, you know, what actually keeps us safe. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, not like having somebody respond to you after something has horrible has happened, you know, it's about making sure that we're preventing these horrible things from happening. And it's supposed to be, you know, like, Hey, if you have somebody checking in on you, if we have a lot of people like, you know, making sure that there are, um, you know, services for, uh, you know, folks who need them. And then if we have services for folks who um, are also, you know, wanting to make sure that, you know, they can have, um, you know, mental health services or um, the ability to be able to talk about, you know, what's happening inside the community, it'll help us to be able to have more of an ability to, um, you know, fight back in, in the sense of really just prevention, right? And I think that the more education that we have, the more representation that we have, the more, um, you know, diversity that we have in our representation, the more that we will actually be able to cover the things that cause it so that, so that people don't get services. One of the biggest things is language access. Like our, you know, right now, our uh, government and um, you know, our law enforcement, we don't have people who are speaking our languages um, actually helping us on the ground, right? And I think it's really hard when you have like an app or something telling you like, you know, something and or you don't hear somebody talking to you and because you don't understand that they're speaking to you, you know? And I think that it's really important that we are talking about how we can get more of those services. Um, even, you know, the, the most majority of the cases that we get in our office is really like somebody just needing some translation help to get the services that they already qualify for. For, right. And so I think that it's really important to help us to be able to get those kinds of services going um, and then making sure that our government is actually able to get us the things that we need. That biggest thing, again, being funding towards our community organizations in order to be able to provide them. All right. Thank you. Um, so let's try to get a little clarity on something that that blew up uh, related to you in, in the news recently. Uh, the the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement that's focused on Israel. Uh, the disapproval of uh, actions by the Israeli government and other issues. Um, you told Jewish Insider that you believe in the right to protest as a fundamental tenet of Western democracy. So I do support BDS. Then I saw um, a tweet from a, a Jewish community leader, Alexander Rappaport, who said that you told him and others in the community that you are against BDS. Can you clarify your stance on this and, and, uh, you know, just try to sort of give us the uh, where where you stand on on this uh, issue. So first and foremost, <laughs> that tweet, I think that it was maybe made in joking. I don't know, but um, oh, that was okay. not. Uh, yeah, I I did not say those things. Um, I will say that um, I am adamantly committed to the safety, security and well-being of all Jewish people, whether they live in my district, in New York, in the United States, in Israel or anywhere else in the world. Um, I have dedicated my personal and public life to fighting for all targeted communities impacted by bigotry, by supremacy and nationalism. And that has and will always include my Jewish neighbors. And when it comes to Israel and Palestine, I support the BDS movement's right to political speech. I was very, very clear about that, including boycotts and economic pressure. I also share the movement's commitment to human rights. You know, I think that um, and that's for everyone in the region. I know that boycotts are a tried, true, respected and constitutionally protected nonviolent 
um, tactic for human rights and social justice movements. Um, and I think that it's really important that we be able to, um, you know, continue to be able to utilize that tool, right? And so from the movement against like South African apartheid to, um, you know, my own mentors, uh, biggest cause which is the great boycott um, in solidarity with the United Farm Workers um, to the Montgomery bus boycotts to fight segregation. I think that it's really important that we are able to, um, you know, be able to have that political speech, um, whether it's towards our government or our government's relationships with other governments. Mm-hmm. And and in giving full throated um, support for the for the right to do these things, do you also consider yourself a supporter of that? BDS movement? I mean, I personally, myself, um, you know, I uh, think that it's really important for us to, you know, know that, uh, you know, I believe our, you know, tax dollars should never be used to violate human rights, um, which is why I also support legislation that would prevent federal funds from going to the persecution of Palestinians or to the construction of settlements. Um, And I think that, you know, the only way that, um, you know, we have uh, you know, a voice in this is, you know, how, you know, the direct negotiations between the Israelis and Palestinians are going, we have to make sure that they are the ones who are actually, since they're closest to their own pain, obviously, that, you know, there are many, um, things that they can do. And I think that, you know, they have to be the ones to make that decision. Um, you know, and I think, you know, this issue is, one that's personal to me. Um, some of you may know the story of Rachel Corey. Um, she was a young activist who was killed by an armored bulldozer while protesting for Palestinian rights. Um, she was my classmate and she was my friend and she was part of a movement and that movement obviously deserves the right to be heard. Um, and so here's the bottom line. I think uh, I'll just say it out loud that I will be a strong voice in Congress um, against occupation and in support of equality, justice, and a thriving future for all Israelis and Palestinians. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that the only way we get there is through direct negotiation between Israelis and Palestinians themselves. Okay, thank you. Um, last few things, and, and these are um, things I'm asking all the candidates in New York 10. So, um, and they're, they're sort of a quick um, final uh, little lightning round of, of quick answers. Um, you don't have to give a whole explanation here and I wanna let you go on time. Um, do you think it's time, and, and again, you don't have to get into a rationale, but do you think it's time for a full federal receivership of the Rikers Island jails? Uh, there's a monitor in place and there's questions around whether there should be a receivership. Do you think it's a time for that? Uh, yes or no? Um, I think that it's time to close Rikers. Mm-hmm. I think that we don't need to even, um, I mean. Uh, There's I going think- to be some time between now and closure, though. So the, the question is, yeah. you know, the Adams administration has uh, asked for more time, presented a plan. Obviously, the new mayor's only been in office uh, six or seven months um, and they got a little more time. Um, but do you, do you think um, it's time for the federal government to play an even more active role here? I think so. I mean, in the sense that we have more and more people dying um, every single day, Uh, we have something horrible coming out of Rikers. Um, But, you know, we've had, I I believe, 11 people have died um, since the beginning of this year, I believe, Mm -hmm. um, in Rikers. And that is not something that should continue. Um, 
we uh, need to do something about Rikers. And I believe that Rikers needs to close. We cannot keep on kicking the ball down the road or the can down the road. I think that's the terminology mm-hmm. for it. But um, we can't we can't we can't keep on waiting. I think that this is Rikers Island is a human rights atrocity. Mm-hmm. And um uh, I mentioned earlier, Representative Jones has moved into the district just uh, a few weeks ago. Do you take any issue with that? Or do you, you know, uh, again, do you think, you know, OK, it's it's a little bit uh, different, but it's it's a democracy and he can move into the district. He didn't even have to move into the district to run. But um, yeah. do you take any issue with that, given that a lot of the other candidates in the race are people who have had a longstanding you know, commitment to the district? I mean, I think that, you know, again, it's a democracy. Everyone can run. But I think that our constituents probably would like somebody who knows their issues and cares about the things that they've gone through, um, knows where the bathrooms are in their (laughs) apartment layout. You know, (laughs) I think that uh, it's really important for us to be able to have, um, you know, representative who um, is speaking for all of us and is willing to make sure that we have um, somebody who wants to you know, continue to get to know um, and listen to our constituents. Um, And um, I think that, you know, when we have neighbors that we already know um, and already know the issues that they care about, um, it makes a big difference in how we represent them. And lastly, in this in this quick little round here, um, other than tens of billions of dollars for NYCHA, which obviously um, you, you, you've made clear you would fight for at the federal level, and, and there's lots of uh, potential NYCHA money and Build Back Better, which has stalled in Washington, obviously, and uh, you and others in the in the race would obviously fight for that. Other than tens of billions of federal dollars going to help NYCHA with uh, its, its huge need of capital repairs, is there one NYCHA uh, revenue-raising strategy that you uh, support? Is there anything other than, uh, you know, major amounts of federal aid, state aid, as you've talked about fighting for and securing? Um, but is there any other NYCHA related strategy to raise revenue that you support? Yeah, so um, actually, um, Nita Velasquez has a standalone bill to fully fund public housing. Um, it's also a very good bill. Um, the green uh, new uh, housing deal is also um, one way of being able to also fully fund our public housing. And then, of course, there is the addition to the Build Back Better plan, um, also fully funding our public housing. And I think that we need um, a lot of different bills um, you know, to take the chance of being able to um, you know, fully fund our public housing. But I think that the most important thing is um, that, you know, we find more and more mechanisms in order to um, be able to get those dollars to our um, state and to our public housing residents who are seeing that their homes are making them sick, you know, um, no hot water, no heat, mold, lead, mm-hmm. paint, you know, it's really, really, um, you know, devastating every single time. I know that whenever it gets hot, I'm going to get calls to try to figure out how they can cool their apartments. Whenever it gets cold, I already know that they're going to have hot water and heating issues. Um, and every single time that it happens, it's um, it's been devastating. So, um, you know, we've had we've seen uh, fires happen when seniors um, who um, have Alzheimer's or something who will t- like t- turn on and open their stoves um, for heat um, and forget that they had them turned on or open, you know? And I think that it's really important that we are uh, preventing those kinds of accidents. 
All right, Yulene New, a Democratic candidate in the new 10, uh, 10th Congressional District of New York, including parts of Lower Manhattan and a big swath of Brooklyn. Why don't you take a closing moment here, a, a closing minute, uh, anything we haven't touched on or any, uh, any message to the New York 10 voters who are listening that you want to leave them with it after listening to this conversation. Go ahead and take, it, take a minute and then we'll uh, say goodbye. Oh, I just want to say thank you so much, Ben, for having the opportunity to be able to talk to you, um, be able to deep dive into so many of these issues. I think that it's really important that we um, are very much, um, you know, having these discussions in order for people to see who they want to be able to support for the new New York 10. You know, again, you know, I think that um, right now we need to have that political courage um, and we have to make sure that we have somebody who's willing to fight for us, fight for us continuously and um, make sure that we are standing up in um, this moment where our government is needing uh, that voice more than ever. And so I hope that you'll all vote for me. <laughs> you can go to newfornewyork.com in order to make sure to look up and find out and hear more about all of the things that are happening in our race. Again, that's N-I-O-U for newyork.com. Thank you so much. All right. Yuli New represents the 65th Assembly District in the New York State Assembly. That includes uh, parts of lower Manhattan that are part of the new 10th Congressional District, where she's a candidate in the Democratic primary coming up in August. Primary day is August 23rd. Get that on your calendar, whether you're in the 10th District or not. Uh, and if you're an eligible Democratic voter, you can still uh, register to vote uh, to vote in these races. There's state Senate and U.S. House primaries coming up in August. And then, of course, the general election in the fall that will also include the winners of the assembly and statewide primaries that happened in June. It's another busy election year here in New York. Yuli New, thank you very much for the time. Appreciate it and be well. Thank you so much. Bye, Ben. Bye. <laughs>